to look at a property this week. Some of you know I own a landscaping company and the guy said something's wrong with my tree. And we looked at it and all my guys pointed to the branch that was infected. Big branch. I was like, we just need to cut that branch off. But that's the branch that gives shade to my house. Well, in a few months, you'll get even more shade when that tree falls on top of your house. What do you want? sin, a habit, a possession, or perhaps a misleading doctrine, but we all have areas of our lives that could be seen as an infection. As with Pastor Mark's example of an infected tree branch, it may be painful to cut off that harmful part. Many times, it's become such an important part of our lives that it's stealing resources and energy from our relationship with God. As He reveals those problem areas to us, we are faced with a hard decision. Do we surrender to His loving wisdom and cut that sin or struggle completely out of our lives? Or do we hang on and let it gradually destroy us? Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a best friend or a husband and a wife, however it happens, you could be tolerating sin and participating in that sin. You can end up in sin by thinking it very important to be nice to people. A lot of Christians think that, oh, I'd rather be nice. I'd rather err on the side of grace. Problem with that phrase is err. You're still erring. That doesn't make it right. I'd rather be wrong on the side of grace. Really? You'd rather be wrong? So, be careful because you know what? You may not seek God's honor when trying to spare human feelings. You know, if I, if I wanted to spare my son's feelings all the time, he'd probably never get disciplined because that guy, man, he can put it on. It hurts to get spankings. I don't like to be in my room by myself. I'm bored. I'm scared. I mean, I'm amazed. I never taught that kid how to con. He's pretty good at it. So is my daughter. She just bats her eyes. Sometimes and I'm like, oh, man, I really don't want to do this. And I keep thinking, her husband, her husband. I don't want that guy mad at me. I don't want him coming to my house at midnight going, seriously, you let me marry her? You know, and you're just like, man, I'm, man, I'm sorry. I should, have, I should have dealt with that when she was four. I just didn't. You should have seen how cute she was. She's ugly now, dude. I mean, she's pretty physically, but she's ugly on the inside. You know, I mean, you have that. You'll have that happen. Or the son that's just, man, the wife's sitting there and two kids, and it's like, hey, can, can we move in with you? Why? And all he wants to do is play video games. He can't get a job as a video game tester, so he's given up. It's like, really? Really? First Timothy 5.22 tells us not to share in the sins of others. As a dad and a high priest, he had the authority to discipline his sons, but he didn't. And if he had really been concerned with the glory of God, he would have called them to repent. And if they would have refused, he would have had to replace them. Get out. Step down. 
And so the prophet announces judgment. So here's the therefore in verse 30. There was no repentance, and you, Eli, failed as high priest. Therefore, verse 30, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house, and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The future is exposed to Eli. You know, be careful what you ask for, from God. Lord, I'd love to see what tomorrow brings. I don't think Eli wants to see this. It's not good. So the future is exposed to Eli. God had given the priesthood to Aaron and his descendants forever, and nobody could ever take this honor away. However, God's servants can't live any way they please. They can't live any way they please and expect God to honor them. The priesthood would remain in the line of Aaron, and it's going to be amputated, cut off from Eli's branch of the family. Some pruning will take place because that branch has been infected. I went out to look at a property this week. Some of you know I own a landscaping company, and the guy said, something's wrong with my tree. And we looked at it, and all my guys pointed to the branch that was infected. Big branch. I was like, we just need to cut that branch off. But that's the branch that gives shade to my house. Well, in a few months, you'll get even more shade when that tree falls on top of your house. What do you want? Another branch will grow. It will take a long time. But that branch is infected. If we cut it off and put a little medicine on it, it'll be a good tree. I don't know. I want to talk to somebody else. I said, okay. Funny thing is, he calls my friend, who's an arborist. He said, we're just going to cut the whole tree down. The guy called me back. I got the job. Because <laughs> eventually the whole tree will need to come down. But he can keep it for a few more years. He loves his tree. I don't think he's a real tree hugger, but he likes his tree. It, it adds character to his yard. But to help that tree survive to let that tree live and not fall and injure others. Sometimes there's an amputation that needs to take place. I'm sure the tree's not going to like it when I show up on a ladder and a chainsaw. I know the tree won't like it. If the tree could talk, he'd probably scream the whole time. Is there something you can give me for the pain? And that's what's happening here with Eli. The branch of that family is going to be cut off. In David's day, the descendants of Eleazar if you want to read about this later, outnumbered those of Ithamar at least two to one. And you can read about that in First Chronicles 24, one through five. So we do see Eli's family, and that's who it's talking about, Eli's family slowly dying out. And so Ithamar is Aaron's fourth son, and, and Eleazar is the third son. And so that's how the Aaronic priesthood is going to continue, because they're going to take it away from Eli's branch and give it to another branch, the third son, who is next in line. So Ithamar, Aaron's fourth son, would be Eli's granddad or, or dad, and they would cut that and sever it off eventually. Look at verse 32 with me. And he says, And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. 
But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. How many of you would love to hear that news about your children? Some guy just walks up. Let's say I just show up to your house one day, and I'm like, hey, thus saith the Lord. Your kid's been so horrible, they're both going to die in one day. But I don't tell you the day. Because we don't know when the day is at this point. When we read later, if you read ahead a little bit, you'll see when that day is. Because again, they continue to make bad decisions. Continually make bad decisions. This is not something that a father wants to hear. And so Eli's two pampered all about me sons would soon die on the same day. An interesting side note here in 1 Chronicles 6, if you're taking notes, write down 1 Chronicles 6, verses 3 through 15. You'll notice in the list of those Jewish high priests, the names of Eli to Abiathar are missing. They're not there in the list of high priests. So God removed them. Though Eli was a high priest, he's like, you don't count anymore. Well, that's not fair. Dude, he wrote the book. He can do what... If you're the author of a book, you can erase anyone's name you want. It's your book. If you created that thing and that's your work of art, you could take it and do whatever. I mean, it's just like being a sculptor. If you you could sculpt something and you decide you don't want your... Like those guys... I mean, those weird statues without arms. I mean, what is that all about? But you can. That's up to that artist. You'll see them standing there. They have no arms. You're like, wow. That'd be a lot better looking statue if it had two arms. But they don't. They just don't. So here's what we see is that these guys are missing. And Solomon fulfilled the prophecy given by this mysterious man of God nearly a half century, uh, a century and a half before. It's fulfilled in Solomon's time. Look at verse 35. It says, then I will rise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Once again, notice the word my, referring to God. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. Verse 36, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. The future was not all bleak. It's not a bleak future for for Israel as a whole. I mean, it it is for Eli and his family, and we got to separate ourselves from that and understand that sin is a very dangerous thing. Sin causes death. Sin is, is bad. We'll just leave it at that. But we have to separate ourselves from looking at these because these guys, God, knowing the end from the beginning, he knew, he, he, he would know if these guys were willing to repent. And I'm sure if Eli even went to his sons and disciplined them and said, hey, guys, just repent. Just repent. But we don't see anything like this happening even after he's told. He doesn't, it doesn't even seem like he, he says anything to the Lord because for his sons. Like Moses, oh, what if we find just ten faithful? Or not Moses, who was that? Jacob. Jacob? Abraham. I'm sorry, Abraham. I mean, just think about that. He doesn't even try to bargain. 
You're right. They're horrible. Let's kill them. Maybe he knew. Maybe he knew that would be the best thing for them. The best thing for the country. Sometimes the best thing doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Like amputating an arm or a leg. Just so the whole body can live and survive. That sometimes is the best thing for that person. Sometimes to amputate a whole branch of family to be rid of them if they're not willing to repent. God's a patient God. It's not that this was just a quick decision. This was something that was probably, you know, going on and there were opportunities to repent because, again, they're in the priesthood. They know the rules. And so, again, the future wasn't all bleak. Nothing would stymie God's purpose. Rebellion from supposed godly people doesn't make God retreat. God's not afraid. We don't freak God out, so don't ever think about that. Don't ever think, well, man, that might freak God out. No, he's not surprised. God's never helpless or frustrated. He'll always rule, and he'll always rule his people, if not through particular leaders and apart from them and in spite of them. And so God would raise up a faithful boy to become a leader. Some say this refers to Samuel, these verses here. Others see it immediately, you know, as that, that it is Samuel. Some say this refers to Zadok, which we'll meet later on. And, but ultimately, this refers to Jesus Christ, the high priest, the faithful representative. Ultimately. And again, as we travel through the Old Testament, through one book of the Old Testament, we're going to see some types of Christ. We're going to see some references to Jesus Christ. And this would be one of those. Notice the one God is wanting and will be pleased with the one or ones who will do what is in his heart. You see that? In verse 35, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart. That tells us that God would be very happy with that person who does what is according to his heart and in his mind. That would be his will. God's will, not Mark's, not anybody else's, but God's will. Not according to the way I see it or the way you see it, but according to the way God sees it and the way he sees fit to administer whatever that may be. So his will. And also notice the reward. What is that reward? It says a sure house, a sure house. This is a word from God. Does God lie? No. So he will get a sure house walking before his anointed forever. Walking before his anointed forever. You and I know that good and evil exist, but now's this time to pray for godly leadership in you. Lord, make me a godly leader in my home, in my workplace, in the ministry that I'm in, wherever I'm at. Make me a godly leader. Now's the time for you to pray that. In your boss? How many of us pray for our bosses? How many of us pray for our current president? Well, we don't like him. It doesn't matter whether you do or whether you don't. I mean, what president was really liked anyway? They've all had problems. Nobody's ever been 100% satisfied with any of them. So pray for them. The employees that you work around, or if you have employees, pray for them. I don't like my mom and dad. Pray for them. We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord. And it happens to be this, to self-examine ourselves. Because the only person you have really a lot of control over is you and what you do. And if you submit yourself to the Lord, 
Submit yourself to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know, I want to do what pleases you. I want to do what makes you happy in your heart and in your mind. Then, you know what? There's no way that you won't please him because you'll do what he asks you to do. You would be obedient to that stuff. So today we saw what a public scandalous sin can do when it's ongoing and goes unchecked. Ongoing and it goes unchecked. Nothing was being done about it. And when that happens, God's people become cynical we saw that last week. They become cynical about worship. How does that happen? Worship and sacrifice. Here's how this happens. Because people watch you, and they may look up to you, and you may not feel that you're worthy of being looked up to, but you, sometimes it just happens. Your kids look up to you. Do they see you being cynical about worship and sacrifice? Do they see you doing absolutely nothing? I'm just waiting on the Lord to move. Then You know, just be busy while you're waiting. He can still move. You can still do something. He, he doesn't call us to be stagnant and sit still. He calls us to serve. To serve. And then out of the blue comes a man of God, which is just a weird title for in these days. You don't see that. But it comes a man of God with the word of God, announcing judgment on sin and exposing sin so he can protect the people, so God can protect the people of God from being completely overtaken by its evil. That's important. That's very important. Have you ever thought that you could be that one person wielding the sword of God, the word of God, changing one person just to turn them away from what the world wants and to do what God wants? Have you ever thought of that? If you're that one person, that one person could be that one person that does wondrous things for thousands of people. But you could be and make a difference in that one person's life by doing what God asks you to do, just by wielding the sword, wearing that ephod, clothing yourself in righteousness. In the New Testament, we're told to wear the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. It's a war. It's a war that we fight. You have to question the guy, let's say some guy walks through there wearing armor today, and he told you how great of a warrior he was and how many battles he fought, but yet there's not a dent in his armor. We're like, really? Were you, did you fight Asa and his friends with the Nerf swords? I mean, who'd you fight? Of course he would be great and a big threat to a bunch of little kids. Now, it'd be different if that guy walked in and there were dents all over his helmet and his breastplate and his swords all nicked up, look like it's been sharpened over and over and over again. Because then we'd say, yeah, man, that guy's been using it. He really has been in a war. He's been in a fight. I always laugh at people who have work trucks that look really good, and they're undented and unscathed, and there's no dirt in the back. I actually met a guy that put carpet in the back of his truck. And his friend goes, I thought you got that to be a work truck. I did. Well, can't you haul that mulch? No, dude, I got carpet in the back. And I'm like, serious? What kind of work truck is that? It's just weird. Have you ever thought that the one thing, that encouragement, that, hey, man, God loves you, could change a person? Hey, man, I'd like to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Could change a person or a kid? If there's a threat that destroys God, to destroy God's people, then that threat will be destroyed to spare God's people. Do you know that? Have you ever seen that in history, throughout the history of the Bible? But you even look at the history of Israel. Every time there's a threat for God's people to be destroyed, those people are destroyed. Just in, in the last century, Hitler trying to destroy God's people. He was destroyed. 
That whole thing went down, not the way he planned it to go, but the way God planned it to go. See, it's a work of judgment. It's a harsh word, but it is at the same time a saving word, a merciful word, and a protecting word for the people of God. And it's important. And so today I pray that we remember that the one man, Jesus Christ, took away sin. He took it away from the world. He is the one hope that you and I have. The one and only hope. And he allows us to repent. He took a stand so you and I could have eternal life and walk with him, the anointed, forever in a sure house. And I also want us to pray today that we become the people God desires, the priests. Not like Hophni and Phinehas, but real priests that offer those sacrifices, that aren't out there to get more than what we really need. But that we go out there and we do the things that God wants, that we, so those that don't know him will know him and be able to live in that sure house forever as well. But if we're just grabbing and scratching for more and more, how do you have time to minister to those who don't? And that is the problem that I see with the church. And so it's important for us to realize that sometimes we may have to not be that nice guy and say, hey, here's this sin that I see in your life. And I just want to expose it. You can do it tactfully. It's not always going to be an easy conversation. You don't have to be mean and harsh, but sometimes you may have to. You may have to. And then there's that stuff where you're like, hey, man, I got to deal with my own problem. Like one of the guys this morning said, hey, I saw, I'm seeing sin in everybody, but it's the same sin that I have in my own life. And that's real easy. And, and, he, and it was a good thing that he said because he said, you know, I'm, I'm so used to seeing it, it's easy for me to pick it out in other people's life. You know, it's kind of like recognizing something in your house, the same type of flooring or the same type of cabinetry because you see it every day and you see it in someone else's house and you recognize it real quick. It makes sense. So we've got to take care of ourselves first, get right with the Lord, and then just understand that we're never going to be perfect And then that way the Lord can use you to minister to others that are like you. It's amazing how that works. Minister to those who've been through the same thing that you've been through. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, If a man of God came to you today, what would he say to you? Would he have a rebuke? Would he have an encouraging word? Would he say, Well done, my good and faithful servant? Would he say, Hey, I would like for you to do more? What would that man of God say to you if you were in Eli's shoes and Eli's tent that day? Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. 
Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.